Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all, all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let me pray for us. Father, we are in dire need to see you this morning. Father, the, the way that that can happen, the only way, Lord, that we can actually better grasp who you are and what you've done for us, Lord, is if you come now by their presence in your spirit. And Lord, would you soften our hearts and, and open our eyes to your wonders and your glory. Father, form us, Lord, into, into this community that reflects your glory here in this place and out to the rest of this world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. Glad to open up uh, the Bible for us this morning. This week, we are uh, in our second week back in the book of 1 Corinthians. We took up a little bit of a break over the summer, but I'm very excited because we find ourselves now in a lengthy section on spiritual gifts. They're kind of a, a handful of passages in the Bible that deal with spiritual gifts, the, these supernatural abilities and talents that God gives us. Uh, there's Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, but the lengthiest section, the most detailed section is right here in 1 Corinthians, three, three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. And so I'm excited that we're going to be in this section for the next couple months. And let me tell you why I'm excited. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll put it this way. In, in the book of John, Jesus is with his disciples, and, and he tells them this. He says this in John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And, and, then, he, and then he clarifies what, what, what that is. What is it that he's going to do when he goes to the Father? He says this in, in chapter 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your, your advantage that I leave you, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. See, see Jesus telling his disciples this, look, it's actually a good thing that I'm no longer going to be with you. Because I'm going to send the Spirit, and, and that's better. Now just think of that for a second. Healing the sick raising the dead, 
feeding the 5,000, calming the storm, teaching, showing compassion to the lowly and downcast. And he goes, it's a good thing I'm leaving you because better things are about to, to happen. And my reaction is, really? <laughs> how, how does that work? Well, well, you see, it's not just that Jesus gives us part of his spirit. It's, or that he gives us a spirit. It's, it's that the very spirit of God that was on Jesus is actually now in every single individual who belongs to his church. So, so, so now the, the God, in a sense, the spirit of God is not geographically contained. He, he exists in your workplace. On your Peloton bike, as you're putting your kids to bed. Lord knows I need the spirit putting the kids to bed. He, he, he's in this room. He's in Mumbai. He's in Ukraine. He's in Jordan. And so the spirit of God is, is transforming the world in, in a better way than he would if it was just on Jesus. It's to our advantage Now, I can still hear that and affirm it mentally and yet still remain a little skeptical. And if you feel the same way, talking about spiritual gifts, a little uneasy, a little at unrest, I I think actually you'd be feeling the same thing the Apostle Paul might have been feeling writing to this church. You, You see, this church in Corinth had been given gifts to the nines. They had the most lavish outpouring, it seems, of the Spirit, of of any of the churches that Paul helped establish. There's the most incredible spiritual gifts within this church, and yet this church is a mess. They're cutting down each other. There's competition and hierarchy. The church seems to be divisive. There's these weird and and freaky manifestations of the spirit going around. And this church is beginning to feel a little bit unwelcoming to outsiders. And I know that that's some of our experience in this church dealing with spiritual gifts. This week, even at at staff meeting, we were were talking through... um, two absolutely devastating church splits over spiritual gifts. Leaving just people, dear friends of ours, heartbroken. But notice Paul's approach. Notice what Paul does here. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul's approach isn't to just like pull it back, let's restrict the spiritual gifts, let's, let's stop the wacky and crazy and supernatural. That's not his approach. He goes, actually, let me refine you here. Let, let me give you some more information. Let me, let me show you actually what these gifts are meant to do and how we can use them and what they can actually accomplish in our midst. And, and that's why I'm excited. Because what if we got it right? Like, come on. Like, what if we got it right? What, what might we see God do in our midst? How much greater would it be? How much more advantageous would it be if we could manifest these gifts of the Spirit in the way he intends? 
So here, here's how Paul's going to, I think, purify the, the church in these use of spiritual gifts. He's going to give us two things. This is my outline for this morning. Firstly, the giver of the gifts. And secondly, the nature of the gifts. The giver of the gifts and the nature of the gifts. And if you're like, wow, two points instead of three. Daniel's been given the gift of brevity. No. <laughs> Second point, actually got four points. So anyways, actually a five-point sermon. Uh, firstly, giver of the gifts. Giver of the gifts. Look at, look at verse 4 again. We're going we're gonna to look at verses 4 to 7 and verse 11, and then next week we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of these specifics. We're just going to lay the, lay the foundation this week of, of all these gifts. Just broad, broad strokes, okay? Giver of the gifts, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then verse 11 says this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Normally, when we think of spiritual gifts, we think of the Holy Spirit, right? It's this, the spiritual gifts, the, the Holy Spirit's gifts. And, and in a sense, that would be right. Because verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. It's the Spirit who is most directly involved in giving out these gifts. But if you look more closely, you, you see that there's actually more to it than that. Because verse 4, again, reads this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. What, what we have here is, is kind of a, a taste of, of the Trinity. We have Spirit, Lord, Jesus, and God, who's a stand-in for the Father here. Now, normally in the, in the Bible, um, we don't get these explicit treatises on, uh, on the Trinity. It's not like God's going like, hey, let, let me talk to you about the, the Trinity now. And I'm just going to explain how this all works. Instead, it seems to be actually that it's in the background most of the time. And yet, it's specifically because God is a triune God that the gifts can operate and manifest themselves in the way they do. L let, me, let me try to show you this. The Bible teaches that there is one God, monotheism. That, that, now, this isn't entirely unique, but, but, but what's unique about Christianity is that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each of them, each of these individuals is fully God. It's not that Jesus is 33% God, Holy Spirit 33% God, and, and, and Father 33%. Each is fully God. Each eternally exists. Each now, this is where it gets interesting, has unique and distinct roles, and yet they are of the same essence. Right? So verse 4 again says the same Spirit. Verse 5, it's the same Lord. Verse 6, it is the, the same God. Now, how, how does that all work? I have no idea. Um, it, it, it's, it's a mystery, in a sense. 
It's explaining it, as one pastor put it, a, a three-dimensional world to two-dimensional people. But I, I think the Trinity does, says two things. One, it, in a way, it actually affirms the truthfulness of Christianity. Because who thinks of that? Like, hey, you know what? This is my idea. Let's come up with a thing here where we say there's one God, three persons, but each are fully God. Like, I don't know who's, who's coming up with that on their own. And secondly, as one pastor puts it, he says, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want it any other way. Let me tell you why the Trinity is so amazing. The Trinity is amazing because it means different does not necessarily lead to division. Different doesn't have to lead to division. There is a diversity within the Trinity. Each has their own roles, and yet there is a unity. One is not better than the other. They're not pitted against each other. Instead, they, they serve a common purpose. Their goal is to be magnified. They, they magnify the Godhead, and they bring glory and praise and adoration to him. Think of how this works in salvation, for example. So in, the, in, in God's glory and salvation, the Father plans out salvation. This is, this is how, what they're going to do. The Son carries out the salvation. He accomplishes what no human could do on their own. And it's the Spirit, then, who applies salvation to humanity. So each has their own role. One is not greater or more valuable than the other. There's a diversity working towards unity. So let me, let me read you this one quote. This quote by a man named Bruce Ware wrote a fantastic book on the Trinity. I commend it to you if you want to know more. He says this, the three persons are never in conflict of purpose, never jealous over another's position or specific work, never prideful over one's own position, and they're always sharing fully the delight in being the one God and accomplishing the unified purpose of God. Here is unity of differentiation. Each divine person accepts his role, each in proper relation to the others, and each works together with the others for one unified common purpose. It is nothing short of astonishing to uh, contemplate the fundamental and pervasive unity within this trinity. Now, if this is the God... If this is the tri-personal God who gives the gifts, let me tell you what this means for actually the gifts themselves. Let me rephrase this. Let me rephrase that quote pertaining to us and the church. The church ought never be in conflict or purpose. Never jealous over another's position or specific work never prideful over one's own position or work, and they ought always to share fully the delight in being one and accomplishing the unified purpose of God. Here, this church here is unity of differentiation. Each person accepts his or her role, each in proper relation to the others, and each works together with the others for the unified common purpose. It is nothing short of astonishing to complement Contemplate. I got that word wrong twice in a row. That's hilarious. There's nothing short of astonishing to contemplate the fundamental and pervasive unity within the church. Look, so long as we are, as one theologian puts it, tuned 
to the same tuning fork, as long as we're all seeking the same purpose, no matter how different we are, no matter how many different gifts we have received, we might still be unified. We need not be divided. So the triune God, firstly, makes unity possible in diversity. But secondly, the tripersonal God makes that one goal, God's glory, get this, possible through love. Through love. In Eastern religions, it it would be silly to speak of um, God as being love. It It doesn't make sense. God is a force. Love is an action of the will. It would be silly to talk about a force having a will or making a decision to love something or someone. It doesn't work. But also, the same is true of many Western religions. If God is one, unipersonal, then you also can't speak of God being love. To love someone, you have to have Someone. (laughs) Love is an interpersonal action. There needs to be more than just yourself. God, if he is just one person who existed for all eternity, cannot love nothing. It doesn't make sense. But if God is a tri-personal being that have existed in three persons for all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then they are able to be part of their very essence, love. You see, God, it has been for all eternity his place to glorify and magnify himself. The, the, the Trinity is delighting in one another. They're glorifying each other. They're, they're praising and adoring each other. They're ascribing beauty and value and worth to one another. And how do they do that? But through love. They serve each other. Instead of grasping glory and, and worth and praise for themselves, they lay that down to lift up the other members of the Trinity. Their glory comes through service and love. They're deeming the others valuable and worthy of their service. And so a while ago, I was listening to a sermon on the the Trinity, and the the pastor quoted C.S. Lewis. I think this is really helpful. He says this, In self-giving, if anywhere, we touch a rhythm not only of all creation, but of all being." For the eternal word, that's Jesus, also gives himself in sacrifice. And that not only in Calvary or on the cross. For when he was crucified, get this, he did that in the wild weather of his outlying provinces, which he had done at home in glory and gladness. Let me explain what that means. You can maybe leave the quote up on the screen for a second. When Jesus comes to earth, and he, he, he did not count his glory a thing to be grasped, right? He abandoned the glory he's eternally had with the Father and with the Son for all eternity. And he, and he comes to, to earth, and he, he's born in a manger. And there's nothing impressive about him, right? Isaiah says he, he's nothing impressive to look at. You wouldn't think there was anything special about his appearance. When he lays aside his glory and takes on humility, 
not just in his birth, but in his entire life, being mocked and scorned, and then on the cross, crucified, shamed, taking the the wrath of God that we deserve, taking the shame that we ought to feel upon himself, being hung naked on the cross, openly mocked. In, In that moment, he is laying aside all of his glory for our sake, for our well-being, to to serve us so that we might be welcomed into the family of God. In that moment, Jesus, C.S. Lewis is saying, is doing what God has always been doing for all eternity, laying aside his own glory to elevate and glorify and magnify someone else. And so it's not after the cross that God is most glorified. It's not in in his resurrection that Jesus receives the most glory. It's actually hanging on the cross. It's on the cross that we see the greatest display of God's glory because it's on the cross that we see the greatest display of self-sacrifice, of laying aside what is rightfully his for the sake of someone else. That's glorious, C.S. Lewis says. And so what does this mean for our gifts then? How should we use our gifts? Well, not to make me look great. right? Not to make you look great. The the gifts are not first and foremost to prop yourself up, but they're a gift to to serve others, to, to elevate those around you, to make much of them instead of yourself. When we take what we've been given using it at the cost of self-sacrifice to serve and love others, we are reflecting the very nature of God. So then, if it's this triune God who gives the gifts, what does that mean for the very gifts themselves? In a way, I already told you, but I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to give you four things. Four things pertaining to the nature of the gifts. Firstly, A, They are universally distributed. The gifts are universally distributed. Look look at verse 7 and 11. Verse 7 reads, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each. Verse 11, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If If you look up that word, each in the original Greek language, do you know what it actually means? It means each. It it means each of us. Every single individual has at least one spiritual gift. See, see what happens is that um, the Spirit is first involved in the very act of salvation. Right? He, he applies the work of Christ to our behalf. So it's the Spirit who comes, who opens our eyes, who lets us see that the things written in this book, who lets us see that, that Christ isn't one to be mocked or shamed, but is truly one to be praised and, and lifted up. The Spirit is one who softens our hearts and, and actually says that we, yes, we, we need Christ. Christ is the one who's done what we could not do. And and so it's the Spirit who who transforms us and actually gives us the faith we need to to believe in Jesus. And and so the greatest gift, first and foremost, is the very Spirit himself. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you. 
God lives in you. And he's transforming you ever so slowly into the image of Christ. Those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. They're being manifest and gradually coming out in your life. But the Spirit also gives us gifts, he says. To each one is given a gift. He he gives us a, a supernatural ability that we would not have apart from the Spirit. Every Christian has this. Sometimes we can be tempted to believe that um, these gifts, ministry, if you will, this this working out of of the Christian life, that's for the clergy, right? That's for the the professional class, pastors, maybe the elders. Fine, let's go with the deacons. Or maybe let's just go with members of the church, but it's not for everyone. And, and Paul says, actually, no, no, it's, the ministry is for every person. Every person is to work out their gifts for the common good. L- listen to verse, uh, uh, listen to Ephesians 4, chap, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To do the work? No to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal of the pastors, the goal of the elders, the goal of the deacons is to equip the saints for the ministry to empower you, to disciple you, to teach you and give you opportunities to use the very gifts that God has given each and every one of us. Now, we should be careful, I think, here to not box in what these spiritual gifts are. Right? We saw a little bit of this last week, but we shouldn't shouldn't try to too closely define them or confine what these spiritual gifts can and are. Um, See, sometimes... When God gives his spirit, he transforms a a former personality trait. He takes some of your existing talents when you become a Christian, and he now redeems those so that instead of using your gifts and your talents to make you look good, you you now use them to make Christ look good and to serve others. So we, we baptized someone a few weeks ago. And I remember talking to him before he was a follower of Jesus and after he was a follower of Jesus. And beforehand, he had an incredibly inquisitive mind. Like he is analytical, deep thinker, pointing out all the arguments against Christianity. And then he becomes transformed. And he has an encounter with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, that same mind is at work studying this book wanting to, to know every little detail, right? Combing over it and, and just trying to now prove the very existence of God. So there's sometimes that the Spirit transforms the very talents and abilities we already had. Sometimes God gives us brand new talents, brand new gifts that had nothing to do with our former way of life. Sometimes these are just for a season, Sometimes these last a very short while. Sometimes these last a very long while. So um, recently, let me just give myself an exa- as an example here. 
I feel like the Lord has been putting it on my heart um, to serve him in a, in a certain way. And this task feels daunting and heavy and difficult. And, um, and out of nowhere, the Lord has given me this gift of faith, right? There's been a hurdle and roadblock and missteps. And for some reason, look, this has, I'm not this way. I am like formerly worrywart to the max. I, I just, I, I stress over these things. But now all of a sudden, I'm just like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. I, I think everything's going to totally work out according to God's plan here. And that's just coming out of nowhere. Now, I need to have that balanced, right? So I'm talking to my wife about what I feel like God is leading us to do. And she's like, well, have you thought about this? And how about that detail? And about this detail? And she's obviously got the gift of administration. And I was like, no, but thank you. We should probably also think through those things. But sometimes the Lord just, just gives us something out of nowhere just for a specific season that we're in so that we might serve the rest of the body. But the point is, look, at every moment, the Spirit of God is gifting us with something, some ability that we might use to serve others. Secondly, the nature of the gifts are freely given. They're freely given. Verse 4 says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And verse 11 says this, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That word for gifts is the word in the Greek charismatos. It's maybe most literally defined as a grace gift. It's, it's a grace gift, as one theologian would put it. And I think we, along with the Corinthians, have a hard time of truly wrapping our heads around what a gift actually is. Of something undeserved and unmerited. That's just, we don't, we don't ascribe that to gifts, I don't think, these days. Right? Most of the time, gifts still seem to be attached or associated with some sort of accomplishment. Right? So we give gifts when someone gets promoted or when someone graduates from school, or when someone retires, right? At Christmas time, we make jokes about giving gifts to those who are nice and not naughty. When someone does something special, we give them a gift. If they do something really special, we go, sure, I'll throw in a couple extra bucks, get them something extra special. Right? There seems to be this, this association with the gift and our accomplishment. So we feel guilty when someone gets us something nicer than we got them. When we get something we don't like, we re-gift it. We give gift receipts. We have wish lists saying, this is actually what I think I deserve. And if you like me, you'll get this on my list. Instead of another pair of socks. And so what I think we do is we hear, yeah, spiritual gifts are gifts. And that's nice of God. But tell me what I actually did to deserve that. Right? I must have done something to, to get that gift instead of that gift. 
Maybe it's my work ethic, my, my spiritual disciplines, I'm given to the church, maybe I'm living a moral and upstanding life. That's the reason, God, I have this gift instead of that gift. And so what this does is it creates either a sense of superiority or of despair. Right? I see my gift so impressive. People are praising me. Wow, I feel great about me. And this must be because of something I did. Or we feel terrible about ourselves. I don't know what gift I have. Doesn't seem to be that impressive. Must have been because I messed up. And Paul says, no, no, it's really a gift. It's totally undeserved. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul will say this in chapter 4. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have? Sorry, verse 6. Let me start in verse 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Don't be proud. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Everything's a gift, Paul says. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything's a gift, Paul says. Your intellect, your health, your parents, the DNA you have because of your parents, the time you live in in history. Look, let's say you have a, a, a brilliant engineering mind right now, scientific, mathematical. You might make a lot of money, have this high status job in this world. But you live a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, they don't need computer engineers, they need farmers. And just because you live now, it's a gift, God says. It's all a gift. So this should produce a great humility in us. We don't look around comparing ourselves, ranking ourselves in relation to others. It's a gift, it's undeserved. And because it's a gift, then I use it for the sake of others. I don't keep it to myself. I use it for others. So that's, that brings us to the, the third point. Gifts are wholly interdependent. Wholly interdependent. That's a terrible title, but let me explain what I mean. Um, verse 5 says this. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. That, that word service is the word diakonoi, which is where we get our word deacon from. The, the gifts, the point is Paul saying here, is not to prop ourselves up, not for personal gain, but to serve, to bless others with. So he expands on that in verse 7, right? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Doesn't serve our own agenda, but the mission that God has given to his church as a whole. And it's only when we come together as a whole, each using our gifts, that the church ultimately is able to be built up. So in Romans 1, Paul says this crazy thing. I think I find this so interesting. Romans 1, um, Paul is writing to this church in Rome. He's never been there before. He has a plan to visit this church, though. And he says this. He says, I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 
I want to come to you because I got these gifts and I want to bless you with them. And then Paul thinks about it and he goes, actually, that is, verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, Paul's going, look, look, I want to serve you, but I need you to serve me. And that's the Apostle Paul saying that. It's the greatest missionary in the entire world. He's going, I need you. If I'm going to be who God intends me to be, then I need you to use your gifts to to bless me. Help, Help me, or else I cannot accomplish what God has for us. See, there's only two people who have all the spiritual gifts. Jesus and his bride, or the church. Jesus has all the gifts, and the church has all the gifts. And so it's only when we come together, when we collectively, as a unified whole, as an interdependent whole, use our gifts that we actually accomplish God's mission. To make disciples of this world, to baptize people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and to magnify God and give him all the glory. We need everyone to be a part of this. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually begins his letter saying this. He says, look, I want you to know something, church. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not lacking anything. Christ City, we're not lacking anything. God has given us all the gifts we need right here in this room to be who God intends us to be. But we need you then. Normally, there's this rule in churches that say uh, it's the 80-20 rule, that that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in church. That's not true here. You need to know that. I am so encouraged by the way God is using us as a whole, each using their gifts to serve the common purpose. You are incredibly self-sacrificing and self-giving. But there's some of you who are still on the sidelines, who are just wondering if you should jump in. Please, jump in. We, We need you. We're not lacking anything if you jump in and serve with us. And look, you need us. We need your gift of teaching. We need that person's generosity. We need that person's hospitality and that person's gift of mercy and this person's faith and this person's help and that person's wisdom all coming together. We were praying in our, uh, on Wednesday night and, and um, Jake goes, God, I pray that when Daniel plants a church, you'll give him someone who can lead in worship because God, you know he can't sing. He goes, God, you've heard his voice. (laughs) You know he needs this. (laughs) Not the gift of encouragement. (laughs) Right? We, We need each other. We come together to serve the common purpose, to be who God intends us to be. Richard Lovelace, I'll just, I'll just quote him. He says this. He's, a, he's an expert on, um, on revivals of these movements when, when thousands of people come to faith very instantaneously. And he says this. 
Uh, it's actually Tim Keller quoting him. He goes, Richard Lovelace describes a phenomenon common to churches before and after awakenings and revivals. Ordinarily, various Christian traditions and denominations tend to strongly emphasize one or two ministry functions while being weaker in the others. For example, Presbyterians are historically strong in teaching and doctrine. Pentecostals and Anglican, in their own ways, in worship, Baptists in evangelism, Anabaptists in community and care for the poor, and so on. But then he says this, during times of gospel renewal, during times of revival, however, these strengths are often combined in churches that are otherwise one-sided. When we actually come together, that's when the Spirit will manifest himself in powerful ways among us, and droves of people will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lastly, the gifts are powerful revelation. Powerful revelation. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 12 says this, and there are varieties of activities, literally, there are varieties of empowerings, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So I think we can hear this idea of everyone coming together, using their gifts, everyone is of value, and still think, yeah, God, but me? I don't, I don't, I don't know how I fit in into all this. We get introspective. We don't, we don't feel like we really have something that's that important. We don't have anything of value to to contribute. And, and, and Paul says, look, you know, you need to hear this. It's actually the power of God working in you. So you don't have anything to contribute on your own. Of course you don't. But God does. And God is going to empower you. God's going to show his power through you. Right? Ver verse 7 says again, to each is given the manifestation of the spirits. God is going to put himself on display through you. He does that. He delights in doing that, especially in your weakness. So where do you start? Somewhere. Just start somewhere. Look around. Where do you see a need? Maybe pray into it. God, who, who, who do you want me to serve? Right? This morning... Driving in, normally it's my prayer, God, give me eyes to see someone I can serve this morning. And then just, just do something. Just start, start moving. And, and let the Spirit of God direct you as you're serving. See, what you'll find is that God will actually highlight and kind of manifest himself in, in certain ways, right? So even though you might serve in a, the same ministry, it might look very differently, right? So we have... We have a few different types of people on our Connect team, for example. Um, one person on our Connect team is like very systems-oriented, right? I, I know all the things I'm supposed to do. She's very detailed-oriented. She knows exactly how to get people plugged in. It's a gift to our church. Another person, they're like, I just want to talk to people. And they just wander around. They're never at the table where they're supposed to be. And it's awesome, because I always see them, and they're just talking to people and pouring into people and building into them. And God is just using their gifts in certain ways. And I look at both of those people, and I go, praise God. God is manifesting himself in powerful ways, in two totally different ways. But just start somewhere and see how God will use you. 
Let me, let me end with this um, illustration. So someone actually in, a, in someone's community group shared this. This is not my idea, but I thought it was amazing, and so I'm, I'm going to share it with us. Um, they're talking about the Holy Spirit, and they're going, hey, imagine, imagine you met Elijah. So Elijah was a man who lived in the Old Testament. He was the one who confronted the prophets of Baal, right? They went up on Mount Carmel. He prayed to God, and God brought down fire on the altar, even though it was drenched in water, right? Elijah is said to have the, the, the Spirit of God richly living in, in him. And, and, and let's say you meet Elijah, this person goes, and Elijah goes, oh, what's your name? Hey, I'm Daniel. And he goes, hey, where are you, when are you from? Oh, I'm from um, 2022. I won't tell you how old I am. Um, and, and Elijah goes, no way. Okay, you, you have to tell me. Okay, what was it like to not just have the Spirit of God in one person at one time, but, but on every single Christian who ever lived, right, throughout the entire world? What was it like? To, please tell me. I want to know. What was it like to have the Spirit of God on every individual in the church? And we go, well, I don't know. We kind of talk about him. We, we, we discuss the Spirit in, in our small groups. Like, we, 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 we know things about him. And Elijah would go, come on! Like, do you see what we have been given? The, the, the Spirit of God poured out on every single person. I want to be part of a church that says, I want to do this thing. We feel like God is calling us to do this thing. We don't know how to do this thing, but we're going to try, and we're going to let the Spirit manifest himself in it. We're going to be utterly dependent on the Spirit of God showing up and working in our midst. That's the church I want to be a part of, where every single person comes together for the common good, to the praise and glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to be that church. God, we believe that it is to our advantage that we have the Spirit of God. And yet also, God, help our unbelief. Please, God, would you please direct us and pour out your Spirit afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, show us how we might serve those in our midst. For your praise and our joy, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. This is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver. And I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca.